0: I would inform my past professional self that, um, you know, things don't always go to plan. (laughs) They certainly don't always go to plan when you're parenting. And, you know, I think in my earlier parenting years, I thought that I was there to, um, I thought that I was there to shape a little bit more and to influence and to steer. But I realized that I'm really there to sort of just guide um, and to um, to help them reflect and to think critically and to um, almost like the bumpers when you uh, when you bowl when you're little, right to sort of be there to kind of help them stay back in the lane, right But the lane is their own. And I think in my mind, I've always kind of compartmentalized right the developmental theory pieces from the parenting pieces. Um, and at times, you know, seen them as being overlapping, but neither of them have um, exact plans. They both have a lot of fluidity to them, right? The developmental theories obviously do. And then your student's pathway has a lot of fluidity and changes and they're evolving and morphing and sometimes showing up differently than you've always known them to be, right? As they grow and develop.
1: Hello, and welcome to Student Affairs Now, the online learning community for Student Affairs. I'm your host, Dr. Glendie Guzman. I'm joined by our panelists of parents who happen to also be student affairs professionals who have graciously decided to have fun with me this morning and just have a personal conversation about their parenting journey and knowing that they all have kids who are about to go or are currently attending college. So let's get started. Student Affairs Now is the premier podcast and online learning community for thousands of us who work in, alongside, or adjacent to the field of higher education and student affairs. We release new episodes every week on Wednesdays. You can find details about this episode or browse our archives at studentaffairsnow.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Simplicity, a true partner. Simplicity supports all aspects of student life with technology platforms that empowers institutions, like mine, to make data-driven decisions. So stay tuned. At the end of this podcast, I'm going to share more information about simplicity. So again, my name is Glenda Guzman. I'm the Associate Dean of Students and Director of Residential Life at UC Berkeley. I use the he, him, his pronouns, and I'm Zooming in from Livermore, California, which is the ancestral home of the unceded territory of the Ohlone Muekma, the Chechenya speaking people. Uh, this land continues to be of great importance to this present day, and it's still home to the Muwekma Ohlone tribe and other descendants of the Verona Band of alumina County. So let's meet our panelists. I'm so excited about this episode, y'all, because this is, you know, we're parents first, right? So let's get started. We have, um, I'm going to have, uh, let's see who's going to kick it off. Uh, Mari, do you want to introduce yourself?
2: Sure. So hello, everybody. I'm Mari Strombaum and I work at Colorado State, which is on the traditional and ancestral homelands of the Arapaho, Cheyenne, and Ute nations and people. And I work as the executive director in housing and dining services, and I use the she, her, hers pronouns. And I'm excited to be joining you today with uh, the other panelists to talk about my two children.
3: It's wonderful. Uh, Let's go to Dave. Dave, intro. Yeah, um, I'm Dave Rubel. I am the Assistant Director of Residence Life for Care and Conduct at Western Washington University. And I am coming from the ancestral homelands of the Coast Salish people who have lived in the Salish Sea Basin throughout the San Juan Islands and the North Cascades watershed from time immemorial. Um, And um, particularly here in the Bellingham area, I'm speaking about the Lummi Nation and Nooksack tribe. And I'll be talking a bit about, I have four kids, but two in college right now, and then one that will be in the process in the next few years. Thank you, Dave. And Sheila, welcome
1: to the podcast.
0: Yes. Hi, everyone. My name is Sheila Creer. I'm Associate Dean of Undergraduates at Rice University, which means that I work closely with retention and transition issues. So lots of things that my soon-to-be college freshman will be going through, and I use um, she, her, hers pronouns.
1: Wonderful. Well, let's start with, first, congratulations to all of you and to me. Like, our, our, our human is finally going to college or are in college, and so we've got this unique layers additional identities, that as student first professionals, you know, I as I started reflecting about this episode, we have I'm embracing the fact that we and we understand that each person has their own journey when it comes to whether they go to college or not go to college. And but we also work at a higher education institution, right? So Sheila, I want to start with you, but did you feel any additional pressure knowing that, you know, like what if your kid doesn't go to college? Like, I'm kind of curious, what tactics did you employ or maybe you didn't employ um, to influence your kid to go to college?
0: Yeah, I think um, my daughter would probably remember her earliest babysitters as always coming from the institutions that I worked at. They were always an extremely responsible, reliable student, whether they were watching her while I was at an event or whether they would watch her at our home. And so I think she, as a little kid, automatically associated positive things with them and with college. So I was like, let me try to establish these core memories where she (laughs) has a really favorable understanding of what college students are like. And then I think that, you know, she was always interested and fascinated by the students. I don't know that she, until she got older, really understood what I did, but the students themselves, I think, were always a source of interest to her because they were excited to engage with her. They were excited to, they thought she was funny. You know, it was kind of, um, I have a theater kid, so it was sort of her moment <laughs> to, to shine and engage and interact with them. So I think that part made it easy when she was young. When she got older, you know, she began to look at it with more of a critical eye. and a critiquing eye, which is, you know, I think what we want them to do, right? We want them to critique and look at things critically, but sometimes in the moment on the parent side, we're like, but don't critique too much (laughs) (laughs) because I want you to go and and keep moving forward. Um, So, i think once you know she hit kind of middle school high school then you know it was really her looking at things through a more discerning lens and trying to figure out like what does this mean and why do people go and you know what am i supposed to be getting out of this experience um you know both in terms of the academic pieces but also in terms of the transformative you know self discovery components as well um so you know i think it it ended up being a relatively easy journey because I don't know that I think she needed more convincing but I do think that sort of the hiccups along the way came when it was really um, around trying to figure out what do different schools offer what does it mean to be in college how is there variability in the experience and you know what how does campus climate kind of factor into what my experience is going to be like as an underrepresented student Um, you know, on a, on a campus, you know, should, should I, should she not elect to go to an HBCU?
1: Mm, Wow. Those are some complex and actually really layered conversations that were happening in your household. Mari, before we, we start recording, I know that you have some interesting tactics to uh, influence your kids to go to college. You want to (laughs) share?
2: Yeah. So both my husband and I work here at Colorado State University, and so my strategy with our boys was I never actually talked to them about going to college. I just always talked to them about going to Colorado State. <laughs> and it worked. So our oldest son, Max, is a sophomore here at Colorado State. And our youngest son, Kirk, is a senior in high school. And he's coming here in the fall. So my deviousness paid off. So <laughs>
3: <laughs> that's that's awesome. Um
1: you know, uh Dave, did you did you have any um uh I mean you've you've had two go um to start and you have two more in um
3: on deck. So I mean yeah, I, I think it's interesting. I, I really thought about this because I would say if anything, I don't know that I felt pressure. Um I was the first person in my family to go to college. And so I don't know that there's a whole lot of external pressure. Um, I just I think I probably understood with. My kids, because they've grown up here. Uh, both myself and my partner are both in. Um, uh, my uh, Kayla works in in elementary, ed, um, so she's a teacher. So there's there's probably been some pressure on them with mm-hmm. this idea of how important education is. And so, if anything, I've tried to be really intentional in my conversations with them, so, so that they don't feel like it's a it's an expectation that they are coming to college. But I think there was just always this underlying thought that they probably would, uh, mostly because they grew up here. I mean, I Isaac, my oldest, um, we had when I was a resident director here at Western. And so I literally had him in a backpack teaching the RA class and walking across campus. And <laughs> they have been to the dining hall. And so this is just a part of their culture growing up. So it's very familiar. The, the idea of being on a campus is really familiar. So.
1: I'm envisioning you with a backpack and Isaac and in, in, in there. That's awesome. That's, inc- that's yeah. incredible visual that I just just had. <laughs> so, so I want to ask this question because I think that uh, and and Sheila, Mari, I'd like you to to kind of weigh in on this question. Um, knowing all of you and and just kind of getting to know you know just what we do right. We engage in social justice efforts. Um, multicultural competency and inclusion is a big part of our work, our professional identity. And my goodness, we have been through a lifetime of training and um, in, in, in connecting our professional practice to just our personal values. And we have experienced you know, real situations, both good and bad, um, in our work setting. Uh, but as a parent, we know this. And so before they even got to college, I'm curious to know how you approach this learning or this awareness with your human. Uh Sheila, I'd love to get your thoughts on this one.
0: I mean, for me, it was about trying to be as transparent as possible. You know, I mean, I think that the blessing and the curse is that you know we know how the sausage is made. We know um we know how things move and how things, you know, sort of evolve on a college campus. And so i didn't want her to be surprised um <clears throat> but i also recognize that part of what she needs to to experience through her own development is self-discovery and navigation of these situations right so i, I often found myself in a tension of how much do i tell her right At, versus how much does she need to discover on her own you know i mentioned to you guys earlier i have input is like number one on my strengths quest. And I'm always sort of trying to collect the data, trying to read the reports, you know, and she will oftentimes tell me when we were touring, and when we've gone to different events, she said, can you just show up as my mom and not as a professional? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do my best. So like, I was like, ask that question to the group. Can you just pull the person aside and ask that question? She's like, because then everybody knows like, that you probably do something in this field. I'm like, okay. So you know, for us, it's been sort of navigating the tension. I want her to be knowledgeable and prepared. And also when she's making decisions, because we're still in the decision-making process, um, for schools, I wanted her to think critically about things like, you know, uh, diversity, demographics, uh, climate, um, what resources a particular campus has to support you across a variety of different identities. How does it support students for whom you don't share those identities, but, but your peers will, your roommate might, your partner might. So because all of that to me speaks to um, kind of this culture of support right? So for us, it's been an ongoing conversation and one that I found at times to be hard to balance between not sharing so much that I have an incredibly fearful child that I'm <laughs> dropping off on campus, right? But sharing enough so that she's engaging eyes wide open, right? That she's aware and that she could factor those types of things into her decision-making process um, beyond sort of what I consider to be like the footprint, the face of the university, right? The things that you see when you're touring or when you're looking on the web or those things, but the real sort of meat and potatoes of what they're like. So
1: Mm -hmm. that's uh, that's pretty good. Mari, how how did the conversations go in your household?
2: Yeah, so from a very different angle, right? So Mm -hmm. being a person with a whole lot of different areas of privilege um, and my boys having a whole lot of privilege, That was always a conscious um, thought in my mind. I grew up in a very rural part of Northern Wisconsin where those conversations didn't happen when I was growing up, right? We just all were, and we didn't talk about privilege or differences very much. So I had a lot of learning starting when I was in college and continuing through today and tomorrow, not into the future. Um, And I wanted my boys to be good humans. And so since they were little, for me, it's always been about how can I talk to them about Mm -hmm. the ways that things might be easier for them than other people and the importance of compassion and the importance of stopping to listen and learn from other people and um, not to make a, a burden on other people, but just to truly hear when they talk about their experience being different from your own that that's legitimate just because you don't share it doesn't mean that one of you is right and one of you is wrong it's it's different in being open to that and you know we continue to have those conversations today and i'll often share with them oh i just read this book or i just had this conversation or i just went to this training and what i have loved as i've seen them grow especially my youngest son will say mom i saw this really cool podcast or i saw this youtube video and he'll engage in those conversations with me and it's been wonderful to see that compassion in them and i'm i'm looking forward to that continuing to bloom as they they grow don't have similar conversations as much with my oldest son glenn you'd mentioned easy conversations with your youngest and harder with your oldest and maybe it's because our boys share a birthday I don't know <laughs> our oldest were born on the same day in the same hospital but oh, you know yeah. I have to prompt those questions with my oldest or those conversations with my oldest but they're good and and we have them
1: yeah I tell that story all the time Mari that <laughs> um I don't know if Dave and Sheila know or now now I guess the world will know you know our- <laughs> I, I Mari was my supervisor at Colorado State, and we had um our, our sons were born, yeah, same day, same hospital. Thank you for loaning the anesthesi- <laughs> anesthesiologist, to Vanessa. <laughs> so yeah. along along the similar um kind of like vein a little bit, Dave, you know, given your work, I know you work a lot with care. Um, I know you were in your in housing. Um we know that college, unfortunately, isn't always a bed of roses. Um, as a student affairs practitioner, we know and we see things frequently um, that can make a college experience for anyone just go south in like a hurry. Um, from a parent perspective, how did you approach that reality with your with your,
3: with your kids, right? Or, or yeah. you? I know you did, so I'm gonna say, how did you do yeah, it? I, yeah, um, I, and I think it's a hard one because I, I, as a parent, you know, it's hard to not bring my professional self into that parent role and vice versa. Um, but I, um, I, I'm really process oriented. So a lot of times it's as things would come up, like working in uh, student care and conduct, like I, at the dinner table, would really present case studies sometimes to my kids on things that had happened. And, And so we, I talked to, you know, to all my kids about consent and the importance of communication and, um, you know, how different it is now from when I was growing up and how much more information there is. And, um, but just not only an understanding of protecting yourself, but protecting other people too. That's really important. And, and that sense of having really authentic relationships and, and trying to be as engaged as I could, not only in my kids' lives, but um, being a house where their friends would come over and engaging with friends and seeing how those relationships went, because I know how important that is to when they, you know, if they choose to come to college, having that roommate, having the people that they interact with and. Um, so I was really intentional and 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 I would say my wife Kayla is also really intentional about that. And you know, I said before she's an educator in early education. so she she did a lot about doing much more intentional structural pieces as they were little. And then I think um, my focus has been more as the kids have gotten older, is that change in relationship from going from structural pieces to much more ambiguous, and helping them kind of understand and see the world. I want them to see the world in a much larger way than I did growing up. And um, am I successful in it? I'm not sure, that's really, I don't think I can determine that, but they've been pretty successful in school and in the relationships that they have. So um, yeah, that's been my approach. I would love
1: to hear from Mari and Sheila if you have any additional stories or conversations. I want to add this piece because, uh, Dave, you brought up about this broadening awareness. You know, I, I think that's something that's interesting for me. Given my work, I've been in multiple functional areas. I mean, we've had case study conversations about sexual assault and harassment and alcohol consumption the difference and you know I, I feel like I'm a, I'm a walking alcohol and drug class sometimes with my kids because <laughs> it's really interesting the most interesting one I will share because you know my my daughter just recently um, selected a college to go to and they were doing roommate stuff you know and I'm like hey look I kind of do one of the like the double takes I know this is going to be nerdy and geeky but I can hook you up with a roommate agreement form so you can have these organic conversations in advance with your roommates or kind of <laughs> right. Too much information. And we can get into that question about helicopter parents later on. But I don't know. Sheila, Mari, any other interesting thoughts on this question?
0: For for me, I think the piece that kind of just sticks out is, you know, the four years don't have to be perfect.
3: Mm-hmm. They're
0: not going to be error-free you're going to make mistakes mm-hmm. and there are going to be moments where you feel like you have completely messed up and 9 times out of 10 right you haven't there is a small there is a small percentage in there where we're talking about some more serious ramifications to your actions but the vast majority of the of the things are are not going to be you know sort of career or college ending And the biggest piece that I've tried to really reiterate to her really starting in high school was this idea of you don't have to have all the answers and that the best thing that you can learn to do if you don't master skills is to learn how to ask for help. You know, the I guess maybe because I work in a capacity where we talk a lot about help-seeking behaviors, she probably is, you know, sick of hearing me say, you know, help-seeking behaviors of them. but. I said a lot of things can be solved by you seeking out help as soon as you get underwater, as soon as you start to feel like something's off before actually you're drowning, you know, whether it's, you know, struggling in a class, whether it's sure about how to navigate an interpersonal situation, whether it's, you know, feeling off in terms of your mental health, you know, whether it's just feeling lonely or not feeling like you're connected to the institution, like there is power and there is, um, real bravery and strength in asking for help. And, you know, I always, the example I always give her that now I think she can recite is I'm like, you know, the kids in your classes who are sitting in the front row and I call them the ooh, ooh, oohers because they're like, ooh, 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 calling me, calling me. They want to answer every question. They've been doing that probably the entirety of their lives. I was like, they're usually the highest performing kids in the classroom. I was like, because they're going to get their questions answered and they're going to doggedly pursue getting what they need. And I said, and that is actually a trait to take with you. You know, be persistent about saying I need help or I'm unsure, or I don't know what's wrong, but I know something's not right. Because what we as professionals have all been trained to do is to help you sort out the ambiguity. I was like you don't have to have the answer you just have to know that something's off and we can help figure out whether that's academic interpersonal connection you know homesickness whatever the category is that it falls into so that's really you know I'm like if I don't if I can't teach her anything else <laughs> which what I've taught her is still TBD you know at least I can get her you know being open enough to not think that she has to have all the answers that that is
1: just Phenomenal advice, you know, as a first generation student, I know I'm glad I asked for help because and, and your advice is just point a uh, spot on because, you know, I, I didn't know what the problem was. I just knew something was off. Right. And just being able to ask questions with with a resource on campus was just super beneficial for me to 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 graduate. So thank you for that. That's it. Uh,
2: kind oh, of it. related oh. to that um, one of the things I've always worked with my boys, I'm probably starting in early high school was, you know, wanting them to know they can always come to me or their dad with issues, but also knowing there's going to be times they don't want to come to us. Right. And so talking to them about who are your resources. So similar to what you were sharing, Sheila, but helping them make connections to other adults and feeling comfortable making those connections so that when those times come up where it's like, yeah, I don't want to talk to mom or dad about this, they've got somebody other than just their peers that they can go to to talk about things. Now, I have no idea how often they've taken advantage of those connections I've tried to make for them, but that's that's another tool that I, I think is important for our kids to have is to know that there's safety in, in other people, not just in family and not always in just the professional resources too right so
1: that's, that's so my daughter has an Instagram account and I learned not a while ago but I know that they engage in conversations so shout out to Annalyn Cruz and Wendy Sasaki both in higher education <laughs> who um, you were part of the uh, helping get the College so that's yeah. that's really good advice as well Oh, go
3: ahead. Yeah. So quick, I was just, there was a couple things and what, what everyone else said that made me think mm-hmm. one is just anecdotal is that I also like, I understand my, my daughter, Hannah is a sophomore here at Western. And, um, we've had this conversation too, cause there's also pressure and Mari, I don't know if you feel it like not you, but and, you know, your boys feel this is I want Hannah to make mistakes. I want Isaac to make mistakes. Yeah. My son, Josh just makes mistakes. But, <laughs> Um, but I want, I want Hannah to experience those things, but there's also a pressure because I told her like, and just know that if an incident reports written about it, like I read it, I'm one of the first ones that reads it. So just a heads up on, on how you make those mistakes, (laughs) which is probably better that I read it than her mom does. But, um, but that's a lot of pressure on her being here with that. The other thing is, is I was going to say, you were talking about stories. Um, Last year when she was a freshman and she was living in a resident hall, like I knew there was a pretty, pretty serious sexual assault Hmm. situation. And the, and the, the alleged perpetrator of two different sexual assaults was living across the hall from her. And as a, Uh knowing that um, I had a conversation with my, with my supervisor on like, you know, like how I, I, I'm a parent first. yeah. And Mm -hmm. so I'm going to breach some protocols here in a way that's appropriate, but I want to make sure she understands and isn't fearful of a situation, but that I can have a conversation with her to make sure that as this process is going through the conduct process, um, that she, I, I, as a parent feel that she's protected in that too. That was probably one of the more difficult things for me last year uh-huh. in- oh, yeah.
1: you know i'm I'm gonna pivot from the script y'all um a little bit and I want to stay with you Dave and and um just skip a question and go to and stay stay on that vein I think you bring up a very powerful um thought you know um it, you have this role. We all have this role, mm-hmm. right? We have an obligation. We're we're employees of a of an institution, and um, and we're parents first and foremost, okay. you know. And we we talk about this this concept of the helicopter parent and 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 this the hovering parent, right? Um, and being connected, and but we also as student affairs professional have information. Um, we we have access to information, um, you know. How do you how do you manage or balance that? I'm I'm this is a really interesting question because we have this privilege to some extent, right? And and it is a, it's a it's a tough one to um, I I know it's a tough one, and I'm in housing too. You know, like I've had I've had parents who are um, friends of my son and daughter who just contacted me like, can you call me if anything emerges? <laughs> <laughs> can't do that but but you know we have, but this now we're talking about your own your own child like i'm kind of curious how how do you manage that and, and maneuver that and you kind of alluded to it i don't, I don't want you
3: to say you know i just your thoughts on that yeah um i'm not going to say anything that's going to get me fired right okay exactly. <laughs> yeah so i can think of two things one actually it's been fairly easy for me to navigate it with hannah here um I, although i worry because you know Access to grades, access to a lot of things that parents call me asking for. Um, I have access to that. And so I have to be, for my own integrity and for the integrity of the system, I need to be really careful around that. And so I'm mindful to ask Hannah questions about, like, hey, how are your grades? You know, that I'm asking her. I'm not going to source things. I love at Colorado State when Isaac went to CSU that you all have BAM web. Yeah. Um, which we don't have here in the same way. And it was very nice to be able to, for Isaac to go on and give me permissions for things that would be FERPA related that he was okay with me seeing. I I really like that system. It's wonderful hear yeah. about about thinking about something like that. The more difficult one for one for me, Glenn, was Isaac. Uh he um he's uh graduated in a 2020. So he he went through that last semester of high school that was just decimated, and I saw this kid who who knew he wanted to be an engineer from the day he was born and got into Colorado State and was so excited about, about it, and it was my alma mater, and I was so excited, much to my wife's chagrin, that, that he was heading 1,800 miles away, and then COVID happens, and we had to make that decision whether to send him or not. Mm-hmm. and we we didn't know. No one knew what was going to happen, so he did. He he went off. He actually he made friends there and stuff like that, but it was really difficult from an academic standpoint. It's a tough engineering program, but he was teaching himself because professors are trying to figure it all out, same way that we were trying to figure it out here, and he started see, having mental health issues, and I so bad wanted to be the assistant director of university residences for care and conduct that that's i don't work at colorado state and so i had to be the parent and i had to try to help him navigate systems and i had the benefit of of knowing systems i also had the benefit of knowing some people that i would make suggestions that he would connect and then when those things were happening at some point i i called the resident director and i'm like i don't want to be that helicopter parent but I just want to give mm-hmm. you this heads up, and then you run with it. And then when things got really bad, I called Jody Donovan, yeah. and I was like, "Hey, jo- Jody, uh, Isaac's haven't he's not. You know, I don't want to get too involved. Can you have a conversation with him?" That was amazing. But I knew, and so what happened for me then as a practitioner here at Western is it gave me a whole different viewpoint of what I thought about helicopter parenting. And helping them navigate and and really being humbled into understanding that parents don't have the information that I have. And they're struggling because they have these same dreams and aspirations for their, you know, for their kid. And they just, most of the time, they just want to help. And um, so I am much, much more patient with parents now. And uh, I have an appreciation, but I can also have that conversation because I can relate to the experience that they're going through, that's yeah. that's
1: wonderful, and that's a shout out to Jody Donovan, who is a, a colleague of ours who works with um, students of concern at uh, at the institution, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, Mari, I, I'm going to go back now. Yeah. Um, actually, I'm going to go back. I'm just going to. Uh, I was going to ask, you know. Well, actually, let me. No, I'm going to go back. <laughs> Flip flop in here. Um, Mari and Dave, I know the, and you've, you've shared in this podcast that, you know, your, you know, your student is attending where you work, um, as a parent, that sounds incredible. Maybe for my daughter, she would not like that, or they would not like that, (laughs) but, um, did you talk about that with your student, that, that about that reality? Uh, I know, Mari, you kind of said something the beginning about, you know, like, they were going to go to Colorado State, but <laughs> I, I'm kind of curious, how did they go for, for you all? Like Any fun stories or interesting anecdotes?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, even though I was a little devious and always talked about them going to Colorado State, we absolutely had conversations about what would be right for them. And I know that um, both boys were concerned at one point about, well, but you and dad both work at Colorado state and, you know, will we see you all the time? Will we run into you all the time? And so I shared with them stories of other colleagues who like had their children here. And then the children would go to their office and say, I haven't seen you in like three weeks. And it's like, yeah, campus is big enough and we're all in our own circles. You'll only see us if you want to see us. Mm -hmm. And so when our oldest son was a first year student living in the residence halls, what I'd said to him, and I stole this from a colleague of mine who didn't have her son go to her institution, but went nearby and said, I'll take you to lunch anytime you want me to take you to lunch, but it's up to you to make that decision how frequently. And it ended up being almost every two weeks, he'd send me a text and say, Hey, can we get together for lunch? I learned quickly. It was less about seeing his mom and more about seeing the dog. <laughs> So we would get takeout and we'd go home so he could see the dog. But I got to spend time with my son, which was wonderful. And then I'd take him back to the residence hall. And so I think uh, Max, having had that experience, he was able to talk to his younger brother to say, yeah, CSU is a really good school and you won't see mom and dad unless you want to see them. And so I think that helped Kirk make his decision. And CSU was the only place he applied. And we also talked about, you know, we get a tuition discount if you're here (laughs) and after getting your undergrad, if you choose to go on for further degrees, that can be a great time to go someplace else because this is a great place to get your undergrad. And Max, I think would say it doesn't feel like he's still in Fort Collins when he's on campus. It just feels like this different community than what he grew up with because it's, you know, we all know campus is a different kind of insular world, right? And so, even though we, you know, I did my pressure, we we talked about what's right for them, and and I feel really lucky that I'm able to have them both close enough that I get to see them more than just a couple of times each semester. Yeah,
3: yeah and my my experience is some is somewhat similar. I knew with Isaac, like he needed he needed that separation. He needed to go away. He's back now, he's at Bellingham Technical College, still working in, in uh, mechanical engineering, which is great that there's a program here that he can do that in. Um, Hannah, Hannah wanted to go away and then found that Western was a good fit and ended up being here, but same things. It's like, it's it's right here. So it was hard for her to understand how, how good a university it is because it's the one in her hometown. Um, I love having her here. I would not have pushed at all about her coming here, except I could see that it was a good fit. Uh, and I had her apply at many different other institutions, but same thing, Mari, as you're saying. Like I said, this is great. You're you're going into psychology, great degree, and you're going to probably really want to think about uh, um you know getting a, furthering your education beyond this, and then that go go wherever you want to go. Um, and I am pushing right now, and this is probably answering part of a question before, but I was also like study abroad, Western has yes. a great study abroad program and you can, you can do that as well. So, um, I love it. She actually not only lives on campus, but she works in the office right next to mine, but she and I have that relationship where she just comes and steals my food. And, <laughs> um, and so it works out well, like she's not bothered by the fact that she, I think she actually, we have lunch every couple of weeks, and that's that's amazing yeah. to yeah. be able to have that experience.
0: Yeah.
1: Sheila, I know you you already told us that your daughter has not made a decision yet, but would you want your daughter to go to the college you work at?
0: No. <laughs> after, after listening to you all, and it's not anything on the institution. <laughs> Wo so that the institution is smaller, mm-hmm. and so, and I've been there, you know, for almost fifteen years and i I wanted her to have the opportunity to be as known or as anonymous as she chose to be. and I knew that she would not be able to do that in the context with me. Um I also knew that it was going to take all of my will to not be. I don't even know if helicopter is the right word. We need something that's probably more extensive and more, (laughs) I just, you know, I just, I had to be honest with who I am and I'm not sure I was gonna be able to have good self-control around all of it. So she never really, um, she never really looked closely at my institution. She also, as I mentioned earlier, is interested in theater. And so there wasn't necessarily always an academic fit, Um, but, I think it wasn't even a part of the conversation because she was looking at different types of institutions. So fortunately we didn't have to have it and I didn't have to really grow and develop as both a professional and a human in managing my own emotions around <laughs> just all of the the information I would have had access to anecdotally and from from colleagues. So it wasn't on the table for us.
1: Thanks for sharing that that was that's great. Um uh th- this group this group right here you are you guys are funny and wonderful we we collectively have over a hundred years plus of professional experience in in our in student affairs so yes we are old um <laughs> we we also because of this experience know that there are a lot of student affairs services um out there you know is you know they could be at your institution or they can just be generally everywhere and at other institutions so you know your child you know, you know, you know them inside out. What student affairs service will you volunteer them that they gotta use, they gotta utilize? And I'm, I'm curious why. Um, who would like to go first? I'm I gonna go pop-
2: first on that one. No,
1: go for it.
2: Um, so we have a wonderful, wonderful program here at Colorado State called Key, and it's, it provides um, additional mentoring and support for first year students. And there's a Key community for undeclared majors. And when my oldest son, Max, chose to come to Colorado State, he had no idea what he wanted to study. And in fact, at one point he said to me, maybe I shouldn't go to college because I don't know what I want to do. And I said, well, that's kind of what college is for. He said, maybe I should go to technical school instead. Said okay, what do you want a to good to technical school for? And he said, I don't know. And I'm like, well, then you can't go to technical school, right? you know. So I go to college, and I really encouraged him to apply to the Key Explore program because there's an additional mentoring component, and they take a class together that help them explore different majors. Um, and by the end of his first year, he declared a wildlife major, and that was just an incredible resource for him. He's very introverted, and the other piece I loved about that program is it created that cohort to help him make connections that I think would have been harder for him to make otherwise, so that was my volunitel for him, and now he's encouraging his younger brother to also look into that program. So.
3: That's great. Sheila, Dave? <laughs> yeah,
0: I, no, go ahead. Um, for my daughter, I think it's more so a particular function, not necessarily a department, because I think it could live a lot of different places depending on the institution. But for her, you know, I will be really looking for her to find a connection place where people practice complete holistic advising. Um, Because I think that if she can find that, whether that is through a student success office, whether it's through multicultural affairs, whether it's through academic advising, whether it's through some type of campus leadership and engagement entity, she's gonna find people, professionals, who are going to be excellent at diagnosing and triaging. And and I think a lot of times, um, first year students sort of feel like they're in the wilderness trying to navigate all of the new And so I think um, having someone that she connects with, an office that that is used to dealing with students who are trying to figure it out, right, who don't kind of have all of the answers will be helpful as she is trying to figure out and make meaning of, of who she is in this new context. So once she has made a decision on where her home is going to be for the next 4 or 5 6 years the next piece will be really looking specifically at the campus resources that practice what seems to be this kind of, of holistic support um, so that she can you know have a definite place where I, where i say start here and they may push you out other places or refer you or connect you to other resources but this is where you can always go to begin
3: love that yeah it kind okay. of along the same lines i that that piece like i don't know that i have an answer because um, it really depends, I think, of listening, as I've listened to Isaac, and I've listened to Hannah's experiences, it's it's trying to steer them in some directions. The biggest thing is just finding a home, like finding a place where you find people, and you're able to connect, and you find some mentors, and there's lots of avenues at any university, but I don't know, here at Western. Um, I... I didn't understand the counseling center and the student health center as an undergrad, and really even as a graduate student. So I really have also talked to my kids a lot about like utilizing, just understanding those services and um, and and what's offered there, because there's so much more than just I just a reactive piece. It's a lot of the proactive pieces about staying healthy, you know, the, utilizing the rec center joining an intramural, and then as I said with Hannah, like is the study abroad, like get in and understand the op- opportunities that are here because you're here for such a short amount of time that um, you don't wanna graduate and not have connected and, uh, and and really become more of that filled out individual that we were all trying to build and other students, right? Yep. So I, I wanna do that for my own kids too.
2: You know, and you make me think, Dave. Too the other piece for me was encouraging my um, son to join at least one student organization. Yes. Right. Um, I think we all know that the involvement theory and the importance of getting involved and connected. And I think that's another really important thing. And all universities offer that, right?
3: Yeah.
1: You know, it's funny. Um, my, my when when my daughter declared like where they want to go, um, so shout out to CSU Fullerton, go Titans. Um, the it was interesting my strategy was let's go onto their website and let's kind of peruse, and take a look at the different services that were available in, you know, knowing what I know and allowing my daughter to just kind of peruse it. And I did the same thing with my son. We were looking at the community college website, right? Like looking at the services that are available. And I know that you can see how their personalities and their, you know, their, their temperaments really gravitated to certain things the the definitely thing they all did was look at the clubs and organizations for sure so they were that's like almost the first thing that sticks out but to the point that Sheila and Dave made it was find that place where you can that triage that home because that's that's when when things like you know the earlier point Sheila made if they start to feel like something's amiss or it's starting to feel a little bit underwater where can you go and know that 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 is that is there for you so that is that is great to hear all that. Um, this podcast is called Student First Now. And I want to close. It's always our last question. And, you know, it's funny because we can always reframe the question if we want to. So I'm going to reframe it a little bit. It's called Student First Now. But I want you to close the reflection of your own experience as a parent and a student first practitioner. And specifically, what did you learn from raising a child that you didn't know before and you would inform your past professional self? before you had kids, so like, what advice would you give to yourself before you had kids? And I have Sheila, you can kick us
0: off. Um, as a professional, I've always been a little bit of a developmental theory junkie. I love it, it's interesting to me, I think it's helpful in the work and, and provides context. Um, But I would probably now tell myself, I would inform my past professional self that, um, you know, things don't always go to plan. (laughs) and they certainly don't always go to plan when you're parenting. And, you know, I think in my earlier parenting years, I thought that I was there to, um, I thought that I was there to shape a little bit more and to influence and to steer But I realized that I'm really there to sort of just guide um, and to um, to help them reflect and to think critically and to um, almost like the bumpers when you uh, when you bowl when you're little right to sort of be there to kind of help them stay back in the lane right but the lane is their own and I think in my mind, I've always kind of compartmentalized, right, the developmental theory pieces from the parenting pieces, um, and at times, you know, seen them as being overlapping, but neither of them have um, exact plans. They both have a lot of fluidity to them, right? The developmental theories obviously do, and then your students pathway has a lot of fluidity and changes and they're evolving and morphing and sometimes showing up differently than you've always known them to be, right? As they grow and develop. So I probably would tell young me to have a lot more grace, both with her and with me, Um, but to also recognize that, you know, I'm, I'm not driving the ship. You know, I got to be the architect of my own life and she's architecting her life. And that doesn't always mean that we will be in agreement, but we can always be in support, and we can most importantly always be in dialogue about, you know, what she's thinking and feeling, writing, and the rationale behind those ideas. Um, so, as we get ready to, you know, t minus three months, four months to <laughs> to move in, um, you know, those are kind of the pieces I'm thinking about, and you know, I've I have two more coming behind with a little bit of space in between. So, you know, I'm hoping maybe I'll, I'll have it a little bit more figured out by the time we get to get to two and three. I need to consult with you guys. Y'all are bets. y'all where are I'm, I'm trying to get to in terms of uh, successful, you know, progress with the kiddos. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. Maybe we should do a recap a year from now and we can, we can talk about surviving the first year, right?
3: <laughs> that is great. Uh, David, your, 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 Dave, your thoughts. Yeah. Um, so I would say, I, I loved Sheila, that you said grace, like uh, my first thought was patience, but grace is so much a part of it. Um, I think, um, you know, I used to monitor, um, I used to use recidivism as success. Like if students didn't repeat mistakes, then that was successful. Like I totally rethought that it's um, like, it's much more like the work we do and the important work we do is really relational. And um, to get away earlier of the transactional nature of, of conduct and student care and those things, and just how important that relationship is. And, and, and parents have taught me that students have taught me that, but probably you know, and certainly what my wife has taught me that, but my kids have taught me that. And um, I, I teach the resident directors now, I is, that it's okay if students repeat mistakes, even the same mistake, because your that first meeting is just setting up the second meeting, because that second meeting is where magic happens. Mm-hmm. That's where you can now dig into things and really have real conversations with students and it's the same things with my kids. That's what I learned with them is it's it's the second time they do something. It's the you know, when they're they're a little bit more ready to talk about it. And then, you know, in, in these cases, I get to be a professional. But with my kids, I get to really parent when their walls come down. Because uh, the same, the excuses are different now. <laughs> so. Really good.
1: Mari, let's have you close us out.
2: Sure. I think one of the pieces of advice I would give my younger self would be to be more patient with parents (laughs) who are my employees and who are my colleagues, because being a working parent is really hard. And I thought I had some understanding of that before I became a parent, because I have friends who are parents and siblings who are parents. I had no freaking clue, (laughs) right? And especially the brain fog that is consistent when your children are infants and toddlers and trying to balance everything just isn't possible, right? And so I think for me, it's going back to grace of I've learned so much more about how to give grace to my staff who I know are working hard and doing their best And being pulled in so many directions because a child is sick and they have this deadline and all these other things are looming. And so I think I've got a lot more empathy and a lot more understanding so that I can hopefully support my staff to be successful and support my colleagues in the same way and extend that grace to them that I sometimes got, didn't always get, right, when I was a parent of young children and then even as my children got older there's other things that come up so it's different than the stressors of having infants and toddlers but we all go through challenges right as we're we're growing and learning and then as we've said before my first job is being a mom being a parent and so i need to be there for my family first and I also need to do a good job. And so, you know, helping my younger self learn that earlier would have been great.
1: <laughs> wow. This was an amazing conversation and I appreciate each one of you. Um, and thank you, right? So we need to wrap up. Um, I want to thank our guests, Mari Strombaum, Dave Rubel, Sheila Creer. Um, for just joining in what was a fun and very um, insightful conversation about being a student affairs professional and first and foremost, being a parent first. I want to thank Nat Ambrosi again, um, our production person who behind the scenes takes care of everything about getting all our episodes repaired, transcribed, and just online. And um, our sponsor of this episode, thank you so much, Simplicity. They are the global leaders in student services technology platforms with state-of-the-art technology that empowers institutions to make data-driven decisions specific to their goals. A true partner to the institution, Simplicity supports all aspects of student life, including but not limited to career services and development, student conduct and well-being, student success, and accessibility services. To learn more, visit simplicity.com or connect with them on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and whatever new technology platform pops up in the next couple of weeks. Um, our our podcast would just not be possible without their support. So please visit their website um, or visit our website. You can click on the sponsors link there as well. Um, my name is Glenda Guzman. I want to thank every one of our listeners or people who, who uh, watch us on YouTube. Thank you. Um, and we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody.